and welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, we talk about the right to protect yourself through gun ownership because gun rights are women's rights. We're going to discuss how the increase of crime across the country has led to an increase in gun ownership, including the trend of women buying a gun for the first time. We'll also get into the the importance of learning how to use a weapon properly. So if you've considered getting a gun and don't know where to begin, this episode is for you. We have a wonderful guest to break it all down. Antonia Okafor is with us. She is the Director of Women's Outreach and National Spokesperson for Gun Owners of America. Her written work has been published by the New York Times, NBC Universal, Fox News, among others. She regularly appears on CNN and Fox News and is a certified firearms trainer, regularly teaching female first-time shooters. And it is a pleasure to have her on our program today. Antonia, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Beverly. This is great. And I thought we would first just get into your own personal experience about how you became a first-time gun owner and then got to the point where you are today, which is advocating for the right, for people's right to protect themselves, including even being a certified firearms trainer. What led you down this path? Yeah, so it's, I always like to start off with people telling people that it is always about the fact that I am not the typical gun owner, right? I'm also not the typical person to become a gun rights activist. Um, I started out, I would say, in a family that was primarily anti-gun. My parents are immigrants from Nigeria and uh, grew up in a mostly democratic household, but um, even more so, I grew up in a a household that didn't really, you know, talk about guns or firearm ownership, uh, much less the Second Amendment. So when I did come into my own and even wanted to pursue that policy for myself, say in college and high school, again, I was, I grew up Democrat. So I just followed the party platform um, until I realized, so I'm a sexual assault survivor myself. And so um, a a big aspect of my life has always been about in trying to get that power back, empowering myself again and empowering other women, um, other peers of mine. And it's through that realization, through actually that feminist mindset of of independence, of wanting to be able to take care of myself um, and being proactive um, before anybody wanted to be able to make me a victim again, I was always going towards that path of trying to empower myself and other women around me. And so in college, it was then that I realized through um, the, you know, the epidemic of sexual assault uh, cases on college campuses um, that was really brought to light by uh, President Obama at the time with studies that he had in universities across the country, I realized that if I truly wanted to empower myself and empower other women around me, I needed to be an advocate for the Second Amendment and I need to be an advocate for myself and protecting myself. And so when you decided to go down to this path of being able to protect yourself to hopefully prevent any type of victimization in the future um, so that you would have an equal footing if a man tried to attack you. Were you nervous when you first started looking into how you use a gun? Um, Was it a complicated process for you even trying to figure out how do I get a gun? Oh, yeah, it was completely foreign to me, completely foreign to me. So I didn't even have, you know, most people you hear again, you hear the 
the, the advocate or the person who grew up with firearms, they, they talk about the stories where their grandpappy or their grandpa or their dad took them out hunting or, or whatever. Um, most of the time, there's some type of, you know, for someone who is a pro-gun person right now, usually has some type of recollection of, of being familiar with it in some way or fashion. I had no recollection. All I saw was what I saw on most, you know, TV and, and media, um, all mostly neg- negative. So when it came down to having a firearm and realizing like, first of all, that the liberty principle in itself that, you know, I um, have a God-given right to defend myself and my own life and, um, and realizing that that firearm is a tool and, and not a weapon only used um, for people who are evil, obviously, but obviously used in defense of people who are good and trying to do the right thing. And so once I had that aha moment, that is really what got me down the tr- path of training. And I actually had someone, um, I was being cyber stalked at the time, actually in college, and um, someone had a, a male firearm instructor in the community kind of took me under his wing and, and took me out to the range and helped me to shoot and, and help pers- help me to pursue my um, training and getting a license to carry. So um, it really helps me um, kind of get through that, that, uh, that resistance that I had initially of just completely not having any type of familiar, uh, being familiar at all with firearms. So that is really what helped in my journey and continuing my training with firearm ownership. And what has your family's response been to you? You went through, uh, you described it and just how this isn't something that you saw growing up. What has it been like for your family to see this progression in you? Oh man, it's it's a progression, right? It's a progression even with my my family. The most part, um, you know, I, going back now, right? It's now when I have my sisters telling me, like, look, I went to the firearm uh, range and I, I went shooting, and uh, my brother asking me, especially during COVID, you know, where do I, how do I purchase a firearm? Well, how does this look? Can you help me? Can you train me? Um, it was definitely a journey. One of the first time that, especially not just my family, but my friends, right? Because at the, like I said, at the time I was a leftist. I was um, a feminist um, in that, <laughs> in the, what we, we see of today, the modern feminist uh, narrative um, that was pretty much anti-gun. So the people are, was around, they were pretty much anti-gun as well, especially my family. Um, but what I've come to know as well is that for the most part, it's maybe at best an apathy, right? It's just most people are not, don't really delve into the policy issues um, every day for themselves until it happens to them. So what I found over the years is that a lot of those people that I thought were just blanket anti-gun people just never really had a great, ex- a good experience, right? Or just a decent positive experience or experience at all. And I was able to be a part of that link for them to, to go out to the range maybe not change their policy or their thinking when it comes to the platforms that they lean towards. But for the most part, um, I'm just helping them with that fear, taking away that fear that they initially have about firearm ownership um, and having that relation that, uh, that that person close to them being myself has helped break down those barriers as well. And I think for women, being a gun owner, a responsible gun owner makes so much sense because when you think about potentially being attacked, We think about the strength of men. This is a broad generalization, but typically a man is stronger than a woman. So a gun is that great equalizer for you. So as we have seen crime increase, especially in large cities across the country, have you also seen a correlation with the amount of women who decide to be a gun owner for the first time? 
Absolutely. I know that the, the stats actually prove this work that I've been doing and, and been a part of and the movement that I've been seeing for years now. Um, but especially during COVID, um, you know, we get to uh, GOA sponsors um, an event with Rick Ector. He's a firearms instructor in Detroit, and he do- does this event every year for the last 10 years now um, with mostly black women, but mostly w- all women are able to for free be able to shoot, to learn how to shoot for the first time. Um, and many of them are. And so I remember in 2020, um, you know, height of the of COVID and everything of women just coming to me and saying, wow, I'm so glad there's something like this. I, I never thought I'd be a gun owner. Um, I voted this way, right? Mostly Democrat. Um, I voted this way, but man, this is really making my, this is changing my mind on my perspective about firearm ownership. And um, because for the most part, I know that I'm in danger. I know, um, especially during COVID, it was an even more heightened sense of awareness of if I don't defend myself, more than likely, you know, you know there were police stations, there were uh, sheriff's offices saying for their county or for their area saying, look, we're, we're over capacity. We're, we're at capacity at least. Uh, we can't help you. Uh, more than likely, you need to do things on your own was the message that a lot of people got during COVID. And um, that's what women got especially is that they realized that their safety is up to them. Their self-defense is up to them. They're taking care of their families up to them. And so that's the message that I got to talk to a lot of these women just face to face. And again, like I said, uh, the statistics show that that a lot of women, actually four, four, about 4 million women um, to be exact, um, became gun owners from 2019 to 2021. And that's a Harvard study just right there. And Georgetown also did a study confirming um, that study as well. So it's it's a great time to be a female gun owner for, for sure. And and of course, as we've seen at the same time that women are choosing to protect themselves in this way, we are also seeing a correlation of laws across the country and various states try to put tougher restrictions on gun ownership. There's the state level what's going on. Mm-hmm. There's also the federal government and trying to have stricter gun control laws from the federal angle. What type of common legal battles or let legislative battles are we seeing across the board that's trying to prevent people from the ability to protect themselves? Oh, man, it, it goes across the board. So on the state, we'll start with the state level, right? Um, uh, one thing we saw, and it was this big push, again, a lot of people got it when it came to COVID, that the government has no reason, especially to be in, in, in involved in uh, saying if I can be able to defend myself or not. Um, so a lot of people took to constitutional carry, which in the name constitutional carry, which just says that the government has no reason and, and cannot enact any type of financial or permit barrier that to be able to keep and bear um, your firearm outside of a home. And so that's the wave that we saw with constitutional carry state by state. Um, we saw in Texas, which, by the way, was the 21st state to, get, to enact constitutional carry. But we saw this big wave after the fact. Um, and then, of course, we got the pushback, but mostly federally, of course, because we, we have a president, um, President Joe Biden, that is very openly anti-gun. And so um, what we're seeing is, of course, these quote-unquote, uh, so-called um, assault weapons bans um, on with Congress pushing that. Uh, I actually got the opportunity to uh, speak against that in, in Congress a few months ago. Um, but unfortunately, this is the type of agenda that we've seen with President Biden and his administration. Um, of course, 
unfortunately, mostly on the anti-gun side and not about protecting our rights as citizens to defend ourselves with a, uh, with a firearm. So uh, we're seeing on the state level, we're seeing on the federal level, um, most people who are seeing these things, though, are seeing something that's against what they believe is to hold true and dear. And that's that their Second Amendment is a protection of a human right that we have. And we're not seeing the federal level protect those protections. And and even beyond legislatively what we're seeing, there's also been a, a trend where credit card companies want to list mm-hmm. whether or not you purchase anything potentially related to a gun, whether it's ammunition or just walked into a store that may ha- have guns. What should people know about the different banks that they use and how they could be tracked based on their purchasing? Yeah, I, I mean, really, the simple answer is use cash when you can, right? Use cash when you can. Um, unfortunately, the, the credit card companies coming out and, and pushing these policies is stuff that we've already seen Um hidden and a part of a long history of not not only these private companies, but of course, the federal government and the ATF um, that have used uh, registration, right, to be able to um, keep track of people. So we see with the tax stamp, of course, with the NFA, that's been around for decades now. Um, We've seen um, all these different types of policies that, by the way, are bureaucratic policies that have never been um, voted on. These policies that go through the ATF um, that do allow the government to keep track of people who have firearms and the accessories or the things that they they buy in order to go with their firearm ownership. So, um, you know, these private companies that are coming out being anti-gun and and saying these things that are adamantly anti-Second Amendment, adamantly anti-self-defense and protection is unfortunately this trend that we're seeing these big corporations who do not care about the individual person. Um, you know, I'm, of course, I'm sure the CEOs and those people are, are more than happy to, to pay for the money for security for themselves, like we see with Congress, right? And those people who push anti-gun um, policies. But when it comes to the individual, when it comes to the person who can't pay for, for security and protection for themselves, um, they're more than happy to make sure that we, it makes it harder for us and has the financial barriers in place that make it even more taxing for us to be able to defend ourselves. Well, I want to take a brief moment to talk to you, our listeners. You may know that Independent Women's Forum is the leading national women's organization dedicated to enhancing people's freedom, opportunities, and well-being. But did you know that we are also here to bring you women and men on the go the news? You can listen to our High Noon podcast, an intellectual download featuring conversations that make a free society possible. Hear guests like Ben Shapiro and Dave Rubin discuss the most controversial subjects of the day, or join us for happy hour with At The Bar, where hosts Ines Stepman and Jennifer Braceras chat on the latest issues at the intersection of law, politics, and culture. You can listen to past episodes at IWF.org or search for High Noon or At The Bar in your favorite podcast app. Well, Antonia, I want to move now to maybe the question one of our listeners or, or multiple listeners are asking themselves, which is, look, I really want to protect myself. I don't even know where to begin. How do I buy a gun? How do I get trained? What advice do you give to people? 
So I get this question a lot, especially from women who are saying, I want to begin my firearm ownership journey. How do I start? What gun uh, advice or, you know, tips do you have? Or um, more importantly, I would say the most, the biggest one I get is which firearm should I buy first? Which handgun should I got, buy? Which rifle? Um, the first thing I tell them is, please, I'm not going to give you any recommendations um, because you, it just like anything else, it is an individual decision. It's a journey that you have to make. And um, if you want to take this journey, you have to, you have to be hands on and you have to go to the range. You have to go and figure out um, which firearm is best for you. Uh, what the grip that's best for you. I mean, we have so many different um, customizations and utilizations in that, in that framework. Um, but it only comes down to that person who's going to be able to utilize that by knowing what's best for them and by going to the range and shooting those firearms for themselves. So I would say first, go to the range. Uh, maybe for women, you know, go to a ladies night. A lot of a lot of ranges these days have ladies nights where they they discount the cost significantly um, and they allow you to try out different types of firearms and rent them so you can be able to find what's best for yourself first. And something that you mentioned there is training as well. The importance of training. Let's say you figure out what gun you do want to purchase. How long does training take? What is your rhythm like as far as just making sure that you do go to the shooting range and making sure that you're shot? Uh, it's practice. It's ready to go. What, what do you recommend on that level? Yeah. So what I first recommend is that, um, well, policy wise, blanket statement wise, right, is that um, I NGOA believes that the government should not mandate what the type of training that you need or how much training that you need. Like like we were talking about earlier, um, you can go from someone who has some type of recollection of, you know, some some experience of of having a firearm um, uh, around their home or you know going hunting etc. Uh, versus me, you know who my story is. I never even touched a firearm or was afraid of firearms until I started uh, training for myself. So it comes down to you again as an individual. Your your um, your familiarity of what it is for you and how you're able to go about it is going to be an individual journey. And so I would say the first thing, though, is um, most states will have, I mean, has they do have license to carry. And um, some states will have constitutional carry. But for the most part, you can still get your license. So they usually have some type of recommended training that goes along with it. That's the bare minimum, I would say, just for the most part, it's do you know how to shoot? Can you aim and shoot and make sure you're safe with it? Um, that's usually the biggest type of training that I would go go for. And there's many, many reasons to have a license to carry, even when you have constitutional carry um, in place. But for the most part, that's kind of a guideline I would give is look at this, your state guidelines and see what's best for you. And I would at least meet that measure. And, and for the most part, though, you're going to have to do way more training for the rest of your life to make sure that you're uh, proficient and efficient uh, uh, firearms owner as well. And you have two young kids. Any advice you give to mothers out there or fathers who are listening to this on how you can keep your home safe, um, safe from children, but still be able to have a firearm in the house? Yeah, it's a bit, again, a journey. And I love about the firearm ownership in my journey is that it's, you know, 10 years ago is completely different. 
five years ago it was completely different, even when I was a, a gun owner. And then now I have you know children and then a home and et cetera and family. So um, yeah, that's the type of stuff that you need to think about. I mean, I still think, of course, be safe with everything. Um, one thing I do with my children, actually very young, I have a two-year-old and nine-month-old, but the, the two-year-old, when the, he started, I mean, honestly, <laughs> since he was since birth, we were reading him books about uh, firearm safety. And, and now he's going along w- with those books now. And he's, he's talking about folding stock and he's talking about the parts of a firearm. So it's education. It always comes down to it regardless of what age you are. But I think the best thing you can do right now, especially if you have little ones is um, educate them about firearm ownership, that it's a tool, that it's a very important tool. And there are things that you touch and you don't touch. Um, but for the most part is to demystify or um, again, demystify essentially uh, the scariness of a firearm by education. And then when she, he is and she um, are old enough for me to give them training and, and go along with the actual firearm, then they have that basis, that knowledge base to be able to go um, and shoot and learn how to shoot for themselves. But I would say the earlier, the better is teaching them, even when you're not using the actual firearm, to be teaching them, educating them um, so they're safe and that they're knowledgeable and also that they take away that fear that comes with firearm ownership and is pushed on them um, through a narrative of the media and the news um, so that they're educated for themselves. And just final question for you. I know that you do so much work on trying to protect people's rights to protect themselves. Where do you see this country in, let's say, five, 10 years? I realize this is a big, broad question, <laughs> but what type of fight are we up against in order to keep this right for ourselves? Well, you know, we're seeing a lot of things, um, even at the Supreme Court, we're seeing with with Bruin uh, v. Uh, the New York Rifle and Pistol Association decision that essentially was telling these states that were uh, a May issue, that were making you have to have a good and a quote unquote good enough reason to be able to even get a license to carry. Um, these states are being pushed back on through that decision. Um, we're still seeing, of course, a lot of states like New York who are still pushing back and making other requirements to skirt around these decisions and guidelines that they should have been enacting in the first place, but they're just, you know, making their own type of laws to make it harder for their citizens, even despite the Supreme Court decision. Uh, at, at the end of the day, though, we're going to have a lot of people who are looking to the Supreme Court to hope, hopefully be able to make the right decisions on firearm ownership. But I think COVID really changed the perspective of a lot of the individual citizen and that they cannot expect the government to always be on the side of being able to protect their Second Amendment, um, whether that's on the state level, local level, or on uh, the federal level, like we've seen. So it's people who are becoming individuals um, themselves to protect their Second Amendment right and their everyday livelihood. It comes down to them being pursuing their gun rights in their local area, whether it's the municipality, the city level, um, making sure that they are, are, are sanctuary states from sanctuary cities, sanctuary states that we've seen, especially during COVID, where people were taking gun rights into their own hands and saying that we will not allow any more gun restrictions from the federal level or from the state level. And we're going to make sure that locally that we are able to defend ourselves as well. Well, the Second Amendment is an important right that we all have, and we appreciate the fight that you've had for that, and also gun owners of America. Antonia Okafor, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me.
And thank you for joining us. Before you go, Independent Women's Forum does want you to know that we rely on the generosity of supporters like you. An investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. So please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting iwf.org backslash donate. That is iwf.org backslash donate. Last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or a review. It does help and we'd love it if you shared this episode so your friends can know where they can find more she thinks. From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, thanks for watching.